What's going on, Podcast Nation? This is your co-host, Joshua Davidson, bringing you episode 40 of the podcast. That is right, the big 4-0. It's unbelievable that within 13 months, we have brought you over 40 amazing episodes of the podcast, almost two days worth of content. That's just, It's just remarkable, and we owe it all to you the listener. Without you all, we would not be here today. We would not be bringing you episodes almost weekly at this point. So thank you, Podcast Nation, for being a listener of our show. And as well, a special thank you to all of our amazing 40-plus guests that we've had on the podcast to date, with this week being no exception, as we're joined by the talented, the motivating, the ambitious, and honestly, one of the most well-rounded, well-liked individuals I think I've ever talked to before, Mr. Brett Hagler of the News Story Charity. And if you're not motivated by the end of this episode, if you're not wanting to get off your ass and do something big after this episode, it probably means you weren't paying attention. Because Brett's story about News Story Charity will motivate you, will inspire you. It's one of the best stories we have had to date. And Brett Hagler is not only talking about his nonprofit and about what News Story Charity is doing, which, by the way, It's just amazing the amount of things and the amount of impact they are making for families and those that need it the most. But Brett also goes into how he's disrupting the nonprofit field, about how he's coming in with the Silicon Valley mindset to go and kick ass compared to where most nonprofits lack in transparency, in operations, in adopting the digital era that we now live in. So this episode has full of technique, full of ambition. It doesn't matter if you're an entrepreneur, a nonprofit, an investor, whatever you might be, this episode is going to give you takeaways that you can adopt to your own-to-own lives, and you're going to love it. Last but not least, because we know so many of you will be motivated by the story about New Story, which I am waiting until after the until after this intro is done and we go into it, because we'll go into a story about not only starting it but going into why Combinator is a nonprofit and everything in between. But if you're motivated to donate or to volunteer or to do something, I've included on the show notes for you everything you need about the New Story charity. So without further ado, episode 40 of the podcast. Here we go. What's going on, Podcast Nation? This is episode 40 of the podcast. Eddie and Dan, we have done it. 40 episodes. I um, If you asked me a year ago if we would be this far in, I wouldn't believe you guys. So um, you guys owe each other a nice pat on the back because without you two, we definitely would not be 40 episodes in right now. Um, so, yeah, this is the big milestone, guys. Well, I think we have to give some credit to you too. So, or at least a little bit of the credit. Would you agree with that, Eddie? I, I just want my pat on the back. <laughs> well, let's, let's see, Eddie. You're what six thousand miles away, and Josh. You also owe me like three flight. hugs, Dan, since that's the only method of payment you offer. I we're a startup. I'm a startup owner, man. That's all I can afford is hugs. Well, deliver them. <laughs> Speaking of hugs, we're joined this week by the man, Mr. Brett Hagler of New Story Charity. Brett, what's going on, man? How are you? That's the worst segue I've ever heard. It was pretty well, bad. It, it <laughs> worked. <laughs> that was, I don't know. Hey, we're so excited to have on. We got to do it better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dan, you do the segue. Here. 
Oh, now oh, it's now it's, now it's awkward. Now yeah, now it's awkward. No, no, it's not we'll awkward. Let, I'm putting we'll you let, on the spot, Dan. We'll, we'll let Brett just take it away. No. How's it going, Brett? <laughs> you guys, you guys are good. There's no uh, special segue needed. I am great to uh, be with you guys. So looking forward to this. Brett, I, as we were mentioning right before we hit the record button, man, we've um we've been excited about this episode for a while. A uh, couple attempts to get you on the show. We finally have you on. So let's just start right at probably the biggest thing most of our listeners at home is wondering, which is who you are and what you're up to, what you're working on. So I'm a co-founder and the CEO of an organization called New Story, N-E-W-S-T-O-R-Y, New Story. And what we do is we crowdfund houses for about $6,000 per home around the world. And in doing that, we transform slum areas into new thriving communities. Um, so that might sound like a lot, but to kind of just break it down, uh, what we do is we take families that have been living in life-threatening homelessness around the world. We put their stories transparently on a platform that we built, and then anyone from around the world can come onto our uh, website and they can meet these families, and they can give directly to these families to help build them a new home for only about $6,000. Once you make a donation, 100% of that donation goes towards building the new home. And then when the family moves into their new home, which is one of the best moments of their lives, we take a video of that experience, and we send it back to every single donor that made it happen. And... Um, the other last thing uh, from a very high level is that we don't do like one-off houses. We create entire villages and communities. So you could just kind of uh, picture in your head, hey, there's a piece of land and New, so New Story secures the land and then puts about 200 to 300 homes there. And then we use partners for a school, for solar power, for clean water, for other micro, uh, micro business businesses where the end product is this this uh, new community. Uh, so that's really what we do. Um, and we're about two and a half years in. We went through a program called Y Combinator, which some of your uh, listeners might be familiar with. We're based in Silicon Valley, and uh, we've really approached running a nonprofit uh, differently than uh, how, how at least I saw most nonprofits being operated so that's a very high level, and I will stop there and let you uh, ask the, the better questions. If I'm not mistaken, you guys, were you guys the first nonprofit to go through YC? We're not the first. Uh, we were one of the first. I don't know exactly, but we, we were not the first. We were, uh, I think, like one of the first 10, though, for sure. And I think, you know, maybe at a high level, um, I'll be honest, I myself am not super familiar with the nonprofit. Could you give us maybe kind of a uh, layman's idea of what it means to kind of run your, how your profit nonprofit runs versus like what the, the rest of the world looks like? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll give the, the quick background. I know we're going to probably get into my story anyway. So I'll kind of give a, a background of like why I started New Story. Um, the, the short version, and then we can dive deeper later, but the short version is that I never thought I'd start a charity. I actually had a for-profit startup before this. Uh, life change happened to me through a revived faith. I took a trip down to Haiti 
a couple years after the 2010 earthquake. And what I saw just kind of wrecked my heart. It was, it was insane um, of all these people and these kids that were living in um, all these tents that were given to them after thousands upon thousands of homes were destroyed because of the earthquake. And the tents are only supposed to last for a couple months. Turns out when I went, it had been almost four years and they were still in the tents. And as of today, it's been a little over eight years and they're still in the tents. So I saw this issue. It just like broke my heart that these kids had to like be born into this environment. Um, but that was issue number one. Issue number two was I was very frustrated with what I saw as like the, the giving model of philanthropy at the time where people gave money, uh, let's just say to Haiti. And from my perspective, you couldn't really tell where the money was going, what percent was actually going, exactly what was being spent, what are the line items that were being spent, and what were the true end results of that donation. And so I looked around to try to find an organization that I could really champion, it could be proud of, it could tell my network about, and could like really resonate with um, who I was, which was I came from a, a, a startup background. I was in San Francisco. I was used to brands, you know, behaving a certain way, especially the ones that I really respected. And then when I went and looked at the the nonprofits, I just didn't see that. I couldn't find what I was really hoping for or wanting. And so I said, okay, what would it look like to create an organization that I think I would really want to be a part of and my network would want to be a part of. And so the the first, you know, kind of business plan was just four words. It was to make something people want. And we went through all the pain points and frustrations uh, that that at least we saw from a donor giving experience, the whole end to end process. And then we worked backwards and kind of designed a new step by step giving experience to create a more transparent and a more trustworthy experience for the donors and that we could show donors exactly who they helped, where 100% of their money went, and uh, the end result of the impact that they made. Um, so I always say that you know we really exist to solve two problems. The first one is obvious, which is life-threatening homelessness. And the second one is basically, the at least how we see it, the, the, the status quo of the nonprofit sector at large. It's remarkable to me how you literally startified the nonprofit space pretty much, but in the, in the best way possible. Um, and I definitely want to dive deeper into that, but in a, in a moment, uh, I want to go more into about how $6,000 translates to a whole new home. And basically, what was the yeah. process like of identifying, hey, here's how much it's going to take to do this. Here's how we're going to do it. And most importantly to me, just so I understand where you're, what, what went into this, the scalability aspect of it. Cause it's one thing just to do it for one home, but doing mm-hmm. it at scale, I have to imagine is definitely organized chaos and a lot of different mm-hmm. mythologies and practices going into that. My, my gut yeah. told me that $6,000 was not the original starting point of new story. Would that be correct? <laughs> you know, it actually was really. Um, yeah. 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 $6,000. And you know, you guys got to think like, it's all about perspective and the place that we were founded in, which is Haiti is the poorest country on this hemisphere uh, by far. And so $6,000 may seem like you can't build anything for that, but 
You actually can uh, because we work with uh, all local labor that we get, and we hire all local materials. Um, so that's great for simulating the economy. Um, and we build basic but very durable and resilient uh, home products. So the homes are about 500 square feet, a little less. Uh, they have three rooms inside. Um, the, the kind of best test that we had was there was a Category 4 hurricane that hit Haiti in October of 2016 called Hurricane Matthew. And every single one of our homes, or we had about 275 homes built at the time, they all withstood that hurricane. So very durable. Um, and for, for, from a family's perspective, when you've been living in a, in a tent for seven, eight years um, with no safety, with, you know, when it, I mean, God even knows what happens when a storm comes at night. Um, or if anybody listening has a daughter, you just imagine there's there's no protection from intruders, from anything you know that awful. Um, and when you can actually be removed from that environment and be put into a safe home uh, with safe shelter, like your life trajectory is is just changed. And the really cool news is that you can do that for only six thousand dollars per home. And uh, in two years, we've now done um, a little over 800 of those of those homes. Um, and the way we've been able to scale it is, like from the beginning, I didn't want to become like a personal expert in how to how to source land, how to get how to build homes, all that stuff. Um, I wanted to find the best experts on the ground in these areas that we're working, and then partner with them and leverage their you know, their relationships that they've had for over a decade, leverage their knowledge, um, leverage their empathy with the people that we're going to be serving. And so we have a model where we partner with local organizations and we come on top of them and work with them and influence them. And that's how we've been able to scale now to different countries and different areas in these developing worlds, which, you know, on paper, people would say that Haiti is arguably the one of the hardest places to work um, in the world, and we've been able to have a lot of success there in our first two years, and I think it, it just really has to do with the, the strategic partnerships we've chosen. So walk, sounds... through, uh, walk through the first home you guys ever did. I'd love to hear the, the story yeah. about that. Yeah, great question. So News Story actually started uh, with the concept that I had was to really just try to fund one house and see where it went. I, as I mentioned in the beginning, I never thought that I'd start a charity. It just like wasn't my background. I just never saw myself doing you know, a charity. And when I had the idea for basically a better experience than what, than what I saw was going on in, um, in the nonprofit space, I kind of just you know, worked backwards and said, this is what it would look like if I had to design an ideal experience. And then we pretty much just like threw some things together and, and faked what it would really look like and made a you know, MVP and, and we shipped it. And we funded it, we crowdfunded our first house uh, for about $6,000. And you know, then we funded a couple after that. But when I went down there to give the keys to this woman, she was a, uh, she's a widow. Her name's Nancy. I think she's about 62 years old. Um, it was undoubtedly, you know, one of, one of the best moments of her life, especially within the last decade. And that just like, it just, I became obsessed with that feeling 
of, of giving and, and being able to, to just change somebody's life like that uh, just became intoxicating. Um, and I didn't, as I meant, like, I didn't grow up doing this stuff. Um, I actually had a totally different kind of lifestyle before this. I lived off of what I used to call the three G's, which was girls, gold and glory. And that was really all that I cared about. And uh, when I was able to go down and give the keys to that first house, that experience of what I felt was just a hundred times better than any of that other stuff that, you know, I cared about pursuing so hard. So was that like original idea or concept for the nonprofit? Was that really what decided, what was the decision-making factor in like, we're going to do a nonprofit as opposed to doing a for-profit that's focused on giving back? Did you guys weigh those options? Did you think about those questions? Was it always nonprofit in your mind? You know, I didn't have like this big, you know, like think this through and really figure out what's the best way to do it. Uh, I just kind of went off of uh, momentum and what I thought was the best and the quickest way to make an impact and uh, just really trying to uh, fill a need that I saw and avoid that I saw. Um, and, and I just knew that people were like suffering now and like they needed help now. And, you know, if I was going to sit around and, you know, try to wait a couple years to change, you know, government policy and Haiti and all that stuff that just didn't really appeal to me. I'm too much of like a doer and want to do it now. Um, and you know, it depends on the problem that you're trying to solve. Like I'm all for, for profit. Uh, ventures with a social cause like absolutely but the one we're solving it, it just it, to us it makes more sense to solve it as a nonprofit um, because we looked at really both both options and said what how can we make the most impact in the next couple of years and we decided that the fastest way to do it would be to have a nonprofit right so I mean talk about some of the, the benefits of being a nonprofit versus being a for-profit because I think this might be some good information I mean, for people that are considering going one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, the first thing is that we, you know you get a 100% tax deductible donation if anybody wants to contribute, um, right? So we're like a registered 501c3 nonprofit. Um, you know, besides that, it's you you get to decide how you want to run the organization, right? Like, there's no guidelines that says nonprofits have to run like this and you have to hire this people like these type of people and you have to have this type of culture and your your office needs to look like this and you need to pay people only this amount right like you can decide on whatever you want to do and and so i don't there's no you know it, it all depends on the culture that you join for a nonprofit and i would say ours is very different than about 99% of them out there um, so to us, the, the, the big difference is like, one, we can never go public or we can never get acquired, right? So you're not going to become a multimillionaire because there's no exit and you can't go public, right? So you've kind of got to swallow that. Um, however, we believe that you, you pay people a, a very fair amount. Um, they will never have to worry about, you know, payment or making ends meet, like, I'm so against, um, you know, nonprofits paying people at such a low rate. Um, and then, you know, you get to make, you get to make other people rich and you get to change people's lives and you get to change parts of the world. And for us, 
that is extremely fulfilling and satisfying <laughs> and uh, makes us even more ambitious to to do what we're trying to do. Um, so yeah, those would be the biggest differences off the top of my head is that as a donor, it's, you know, you get 100% tax deductible donation. Um, and then if like an employee or something like that, I would say the biggest difference is just that there's no exit and there's no, you know, you can't go public. Right. So, you know, you're missing out obviously on, on some exit money, but. So, so you said that 100% of donations go directly to funding these houses, from these villages, um, which is amazing. And I'm, I really respect that you guys do that. You don't take any off the top. Um, is it, is it, uh, how long did you guys take to yeah. figure out how you were making money as an organization and, and paying your, your people? Like, what was the, was that always in your mind or did yeah. you just kind of like go for it at first and try to make a difference and hope for, hope for that to develop? Yeah. Yeah. It started from the very beginning. Uh, I mean, that was our model from day one. And what I said was, um, we're, we're going to have two bank accounts. One is going to be for homes and a hundred percent of the money that goes into that account will never touch. And then we're going to have another bank account for our operations and our overhead and our salaries. And I'm going to go recruit a private group of donors that have a investor-like mindset and have vision. And they're going to give to just operations, and they're just going to pay for overhead. And, um, and that's what we've been able to do. So we have a private group of donors that are known as the builders because they're building the future of our organization. Um, there's about 16 of them. The majority are venture capitalists or angel investors um, because when you're an angel investor or venture capitalist, you invest into something so that it can grow in the future and so that you can get a, a return out of what you've invested, right? Well, if you look at a nonprofit, at least the way we've, we've positioned this to them, is that if you give money to our operations – so that I can go hire an extremely talented software engineer, right? Well, the end result over the next year and a half or two years is going to produce way more donations and have a, a what we call a social return on investment than if you just strictly gave to fund one house, right? So it's a leverage, it's a leverage point, and um, we've been able to assemble a, a just an awesome group of people. I'm so lucky. Um, some folks you guys might have heard of. Uh, y Combinator was the first group to to invest in our operations. Um, Brad Feld is a venture capitalist that I'm very close with. Um, Keith Kroc is the CEO of DocuSign. Uh, Pete Flint is the CEO and founder of a, a tech company called Trulia um, that recently uh, joined Zillow, and he sits on the board of Zillow. Um, so we've been able to assemble just a great group that understand that you need to have, you know, you need to hire great people and you need to be able to have, um, you know, great operations in order to truly grow. It's actually interesting. I noticed that Jeff Slabowski is one of your advisors who's been on our yeah. show. Uh, he's oh, a awesome. good friend of ours. So talk about a small world. G going back, this is probably one of the most interesting questions that I'm going to be giving you. I'm really interested to hear how you answer this, which is how do you guys determine at a given time who are the families and basically the communities that need your help in that given moment? And I know the long answer is probably we want to help everyone at any given time, yeah. but obviously with resources being finite, how do you determine that? Yeah. 
Yeah, the very first thing is that we, we're, as I mentioned before, we are uh, like we're partner dependent. And so we look for the absolute highest qualified partners that we can work with that meet our criteria, that meet our standards, that have proven to operate at a really high level of excellence over a proven period of time. And then we start conversations with them. And then we find the best partners. Um, there's obvious need in the area, um, but it starts with finding the best, best, best local partner first. Um, and then they're able to help uh, you know, facilitate the families and, and qualify the families. Um, and then we eventually actually get to a point where um, we, in, most, in most places we do um, a lottery for families. Um, it's actually been, been proven over time to be uh, what they believe is the is the fairest way to do it. What we believe is the fairest way to do it, and it's uh, it's worked. So we'll do a lottery. We'll come up with you know X amount of names on on the list, and then we will uh, fund them in order as as quickly as we possibly can. And we have uh, an end goal with our communities. You can think of it like a project. Like we'll come into a place and say, all right, we're going to do 200 homes here. So it's going to be 200 families, which is about a thousand people. And that's enough. That's the amount of land that we're going to to secure, and then we're going to build a village there. Um, and then after that, we go to well, we do have a whole process of of staying there and following up and measurement, evaluation, all that stuff. But I'll get into later. But then we we start on a new project, a funding project. Um, so it's very there's like there's clear end goals for each project, and we're very transparent with the families up front. Um, but I mean, honestly, it's, it's obviously, it's a tough thing to do, right? Because the, uh, the demand far outweighs the supply. How many, um, actually first I should say, so if anyone hasn't checked out, uh, new story, new story charity.org, um, just, it's accurate to say that it works like a Kickstarter in a lot of ways, right? Where the money is raised yeah. at. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. so I think two really big questions. One's probably a lot easier than the other, um, was how many projects are running or how many campaigns are running right now? Um, and then even more importantly is, is how are the funds getting raised? Um, what's that look like? Is it a marketing effort? There's a PR. How does that all kind of come together to kind of follow the story? Yeah. I mean, so we have a couple ways to do it. Um, you know, we've, we've assembled a, just a, a pretty decent sized group of donors or supporters that we call the new story family. And so they are actively coming back and, checking out our site, looking at who the new families are, um, checking out the family stories, and then just donating directly online to, to the family. And that's great. Uh, the other thing that they can do is they can say, hey, I actually want to start my own crowdfunding campaign to try to raise enough money to either you know, sponsor a full house or half a house or whatever it may be. And so on our platform, you can just click a button that says start a campaign and then you are you get created your own URL, and then you can share that with your friends, and you can together raise money um, for something that you believe in. And then the la the last piece is is company partnerships. So um, over the last year, we've really grown our network of partners, uh, where you know, companies are either funding entire communities. Uh, you could think of like a company village where. Um, you know, all employees are helping fund that community. It's a very clear end goal to do it. Uh, we have you know, individuals that give larger amounts in order to fund the communities. 
um, or the companies will, you know, donate together on a little smaller scale where they're doing, you know, it could be anywhere from like five to 10 homes, which would be like a street for the company. Um, so those are the main ways that, that, we're, that we're fundraising right now. And, you know, we try really hard by building our product um, to build virality into the product um, to, 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 you know, try to make it um, go on its own and, and deliver something that hopefully is, is really great. And then it's going to make other people tell their friends um, and it's going to be a remarkable experience for them. And then they're going to, you know, become you know, believers in what we're doing and, and get their family involved as well. How many people have um, come to actually start their own campaigns at this point? Is that a new side of the business? Is that where it originally started or like how's things kind of like evolving here as things go on for you? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been from day one. And what we've, what we've really tried to do, I mean, just from like a marketing and a product um, lens is let's say that you started a campaign on average, you're going to bring in 13 new donors to new story that we would have not, have gotten to right so you're going to bring us 13 new people that are now exposed to new story and that are now donors and then what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to convert two out of those 13 uh, donors to then start their own campaign right so there's a there's a high viral coefficient where in theory for each campaign that gets started because they're bringing in their friends and their network their friends and their network are going to have such a good experience that they're going to actually start their own campaign and then the cycle continues. And so we've, we've, uh, we've tried really hard to focus on that, um, like that viral loop uh, number for us. And, um, you know, that's been, that's been one of our bigger drivers of growth. So let's go to the business side of things for a minute. What, made you guys say we're going to go in the Y Combinator and what was that process like being a part of Y Combinator as a nonprofit? Yeah, we, you know, we had a lot of things in our favor when we applied to YC, definitely got lucky on some things. Um, it was really good timing for us. We had a launch in a very short period of time. So um, I, we basically built a fake crowdfunding site. Um, that was just totally hacked together. Um, there was no code. I mean, it wasn't even a product. We basically took a, hook, a couple screenshots, and when people would donate, um, it looked like they were giving to a crowdfunding site that was ours. And um, what we would do is we would actually have to go in on the back and move the meter every single time ourselves manually and calculate the percentages manually and update those. Um, but that to say, we were able to launch within like, two weeks of the concept and start collecting donations just as soon as we possibly could. Turns out we raised enough money for a couple houses in uh, just like a month and a half. And then we were able to build those pretty quickly. Uh, and so we got them built. And then we also were able to shoot the moving videos and send those back to everybody that donated. Um, so we had basically accomplished our full end to end experience um, in a very short period of time. And all that to say, Y Combinator, to me, it seems like one of the, one of the traits they really value is your ability to get a lot of things done in a short period of time. And we, you know, for whatever reason, we're able to do that. So that was one of the reasons. And then that, that we thought we had a really good chance of getting in. 
And then we just, um, we just hustled like crazy um, in order to apply and um, do the interviews and all that stuff. I mean, we just took a f- absolute full swing at, at Y Combinator. We, we really only wanted to apply to the, what we thought was the top accelerator at the time. And so we just went all out um, to give the absolute best swing at it. And it worked out. So the resources that you got from Y Combinator for the logistics of like building your house, was that, did they help with that? Or is that just no. connection you had made prior? That was something you'd already established? No, that was, that was uh, totally different. I mean, there's, okay. that's like a different side of the, of the business. Um, you know, the best, the, the, the greatest thing about Y Combinator as a nonprofit is that they don't treat you like a nonprofit. There's no difference in how you're treated as opposed to the Airbnb that goes through Y Combinator. And, and when I started this and our co-founders, we like, that was how we felt from the beginning was we, the world didn't need another charity, right? There's already too many. The world needed a different type of charity with a different mindset that approaches things with new types of solutions that really believes in using technology and building software and building products to solve issues both internally and externally as well. And that is why we really started a new story instead of just trying to like give to another organization. Um, and so our whole mindset going into YC was we're already approaching this differently. We're approaching this like a for-profit tech startup. Um, and, and then going through Y Combinator, it just felt like home because, you know, the, all the expectations, the terminology, how we approach things, like everything is just the same. Um, and that's, you know, my hope is that in the future, we're able to um, somewhat inspire organizations or younger social entrepreneurs to think the same way. And YC just did such a, an incredible job of, of that with us. And it really formed the DNA of the organization. So just out of curiosity to kind of break down your YC experience, um, if I'm not mistaken first, it's 120,000, I think they give to the startups now. Is that correct? Uh, correct. Yes. So does that mean for you guys, especially from, you know, you describing, and I'm sure Josh just mad I'm stealing this question from him, but um, would you say a lot of a lot of the funds went into actually building your MVP product so you guys could get out the door? Yeah, those funds went. All of those funds went towards um, our operations. So for our salary, for building product, not one penny of what YC gave us went to funding homes. Um, so let me give you an example. We were at Y Combinator in the summer of 2017 for about three months, right? We spent. In those three months, I think we spent uh, a little over $60,000 in three months. Now, at the time, this is a very early stage startup. There's three co-founders, like super early on. So we're paying ourselves minimal, all that stuff. Um, However, we we spent about $60,000. And in three months, we generated about $600,000 in donations for homes. So there was a 10x leverage point that we were able to to do during our time there, um, and that was because you know we we took that money and we and we invested into building uh, the software and the product, 
um, and all that good stuff that was able to get us um, awareness, attention, and then ultimately provide a really good and unique experience to the donors that, you know, either unlocked them to give more, to tell their friends, to get their company involved, et cetera. Um, but um, to answer your question, we use that money to for our operations. That's cool to know. Um, I, I, well, for, actually, first I want to say beg, borrow, and steal. I, I love that you said you had to manually go update as you guys were actually oh, yeah. taking stuff in. I think that's like that's startup entrepreneur 101 right there. Beg, borrow, steal. Do what you got to do to make things work. Um, totally, man. And then I was actually even curious, so on the other side of YC, um, so I know the other big part of it, because I'm actually in the same office where Techstars is, is the mentorship side of oh, it. Awesome. Um, and I'd love to know, I'm big on mentors. I, I can't begin to tell how important it is to have a mentor, in my opinion, from my experience. Yeah. You know, How did the mentors play a role for you guys as you were going through YC? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, they did a really good, they would do a really good job of, you know, kind of pairing you with, specific domain experts, right? So uh, Kevin Hale, who started Wufu and is an expert, I mean, basically in everything, but specifically in user experience and UI and, and creating just like remarkable and delightful moments. Um, so we had him for that. And, you know, we sat down with him and, and he would walk us through what, what he saw and how he thought about things and really just like his, his process and his, um, his approach to either creating new products, um, looking at existing ones, learning and iterating off of those. Um, and then we had somebody else, uh, her name's Kat, she's amazing, who is a, a awareness and a, and a press and a communications expert, right? So we go to her and we really focus on that. Um, we then had somebody for all of our, you know, more of like the operations of the organization, how to, how to you know, structure the org. Um, you know, different type of how you set up strategy, like just the total like COO mindset. Um, and you, you're able to go to these different experts and, and learn. Um, and then, you know, that, that for us was something that we just really believed in and took time to do. Um, and I think, you know, one of, one of the, the best qualities about our team is that we're just obsessive learners. And we want to learn as much as we can from from people that we really respect. And so uh, we just kind of jumped all over the opportunity to learn from uh, those folks. What does your day-to-day -day right now look like? It sounds to me that you still look at things as a entrepreneur of a fast-growing startup. So I'm curious to hear yeah. what your daily agenda, which I'm sure changes often, but maybe the most average days would look like for you from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it starts with really the, the vision of the organization and then uh, going out and being the person externally that is communicating that vision, that is uh, selling that vision either to a partner or a new donor or to the press uh, or for a speaking engagement. Um, so it really starts with uh, like helping set the vision, and then communicating the vision as well to the uh, to the right partners that we need to have um, part of the new story. Uh, the second piece is just culture and making sure that the team is running on uh, as as fast as we need to be running. That we're hitting our you know hitting all of our our priorities, and um, we're very structured in, in how we set up our 
our priorities and, you know, they ladder up to the quarterly and the monthly and the annual and we have a five year, all that stuff. So I uh, just making sure we're on track with those things and then iterating as we go. Um, and yeah, those are the two main things right now and we're hiring more. So uh, definitely spend a lot of time um, uh, hiring and, and looking at, you know, the right people that we want to bring in to our culture. So um, are, yeah. are you guys only in Haiti right now? No, we're in Haiti, El Salvador, Bolivia, and uh, soon to be in Mexico. Okay, interesting. So are, the, are you seeing like the average price of the, the homes around the same for those markets or is it fluctuating? Like, is, does it vary a lot? And did you have any issues getting into new markets that you didn't have getting into like Haiti initially? Yeah, they range from about $5,500 to like $6,800. So pretty much the same, you know, give or take a few hundred bucks. Um, is that like a really, yeah, that's, is that a really important uh, part of your brand and, and your marketability? Yeah. Or do you think if it had to be more expensive, you guys would have no problem getting those donations still and building those homes? No, we don't want them to be any more expensive than about $7,000. Um, you know, the reason for that is we're, we're optimizing for, uh, for scale and how many people we can impact um, in a short period of time and how fast can the homes be built. Um, and we're, we're working with the most vulnerable um, people that are arguably suffering the most in the world. And so we're trying to reach them as, as fast as we can. Um, but at the same time, there's checks and balances. We also have to make sure that we're building durable and resilient homes that are built to last. So if we were just optimizing for scale and low price, then we could easily be building, you know, $2,000 homes um, that would probably last for, I don't know, a couple of years or, you know, but we're not optimizing for that. When we build our homes, you know, we expect them to last uh, for generations to come. So we've just found that that price point works. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll, this year we're doing a lot more discovery of modular homes, 3D printing, all of those fun and exciting things that I think people are still figuring out. Um, but we think in the future that's going to be a big part of, of how we scale a new story. That's awesome. So I was going to ask, my next question was going to be like, what other technology companies are you guys partnering with? So like the 3D printed stuff is really cool and there's a lot of like, companies that are working to get internet in, into some places that don't have it and, and different places like charity water is working to get not just water into like villages that need it, but like other technologies as well. Are you guys doing the same kind of thing? Yeah. So internet is definitely one initiative. Um, number two is like just the ability to, to offer people, um, you know, we call it micro loans, but be able to offer people income opportunities. Technology definitely has a has a you know a role in that. Um, the other thing tech wise that we're doing that directly relate to our work on the ground is, um, as mentioned, we work with a lot of partner organizations that are based in these countries that we work in, and we're actually we build uh, software and tools to help make their jobs um, easier out when they're working in the field for news story. Um, and we've just seen that that's been able to um, streamline things, make things more efficient, make it go faster, um, which, you know, we believe has a has a larger impact 
um, in the area. Um, but, but those are, I mean, we don't have like some crazy, you know, tech solution that's going to work in, you know, the poorest part of Haiti. Um, I think any getting internet there is a, is a huge win. Um, being able to help with mobile phone penetration is also a really big win. Um, so those are, those are kind of the things that we think about. Interesting. So I want to, I'm curious about this because I'm here right now, but are you working on anywhere in Colombia at all? Because there's a lot of displaced families no. right now to the conflict, you know, the paramilitary and the guerrillas and they're, you know, being put up in like Bogota and, and different cities like that, but they're being taken from their homes and their villages. I feel like you guys have a good opportunity here. Yeah, I mean, I mean, absolutely it's needed, uh, but it's just not on our, you know, roadmap right now. Um, we think probably in the next couple of years it, it would make sense, but right now we're just really trying to go deep in the countries that um, that we've been working in because we've built up clout with the local governments and we're able to secure land faster and um, really use the same partners that we've been using. So this year we're strictly focused on um, on really just three countries, and um, but going forward we'll absolutely be expanding. I think that makes sense, right? Because you know. I was actually going to you know, kind of transition to there from, uh, you said it's more than just a home. You're trying to build a community. Um, and obviously you want to execute on one thing, take it to the finish line. So what, what does it look like, you know, in terms of building a community? You know, I assume you guys, I don't know if it's one house at a time, two houses at a time, but, you know, yeah. what, how does it become a bigger picture as a community? Totally. So our thesis is that a community has to be the foundation of a community. You have to have land first. Right, you've got to have a safe and secure land, and then you've got to have, have you got to have people in safe homes. Um, so we really take care of those to start, and then we work with uh, urban design planners. Uh, we work with a great group out of Berkeley in California, um, and then we work with the actual beneficiaries to help design what would this community look like, and and where are things placed, and what do they need? Um, you know, where is the playground? Where is the open space? Where is a place to do commerce, like all these different things, we come up with the urban design, um, and then we work with other, we curate partnerships with, uh, for, for example, for a school or for solar power or for other components of the community where we're not responsible for funding and running those programs. What we do is we go find the best partners and then we bring them into the community. So um, if you kind of think of it like a, nerdy tech analogy is we have the platform, we have the community platform, and then we bring on the other apps, applications to make the most robust platform is the idea. Brett, what would you say is the biggest thing that you've learned throughout all this since you started? Or maybe actually a better question for me to ask you is, what's a piece of advice you would give yourself from two years ago? Good question. Let's see. I think that you've got to, you've got to think big and you've got to set big goals. Um, I think out of the gates, we set, pretty big goals but they could have been bigger and what i found is that what 
what that does when you set, um, you know, 10x goals than what you might have thought is you're still going to put in the same amount of time, right? But it, it just, it totally changes your strategy of where you're going to play, how you're going to win in order to get to that very clearly defined goal or metric. Um, and, you know, I'll give you one example. Early on, it was when we were at Y Combinator, um, we got to Y Combinator and they basically make you pick one goal at the end of your time there during three months that's supposed to be really, really audacious and like almost impossible to hit. And they make you come to the partners and say like, okay, this is our big goal. And we put our heads down and thought, what would be out of this world to do? And we came up with 50 homes. They then immediately said, you're going to do 100 homes. Just doubled us right off the bat. Um, and it was just like, wow, we do not know how we're going to do that. But now we're basically forced to go back to the drawing board, redo our strategy, and think if we had to do this, like no BS, if you had to do it, what would need to happen? Um, and then now on a much larger scale, we have a 10-year a goal to do 100,000 homes and to build about 1,000 communities. And to us, that's a pretty ambitious, a pretty ambitious goal, um, but yet somewhat attainable. And then because we've set that big goal, we've now reverse engineered what we believe needs to happen in phases to hit that big goal. So a company value that we have, it's based off of these little stories I've been sharing, is uh, think big, break down, and execute. And so if I was to tell myself again, uh, one piece of advice was to, to definitely think even bigger, um, but it's not just about the thinking big or the vision or the dream, is you've got to break that down, and then you've got to put your head down and execute. Um, that's really worked for us, uh, just both personally and as a team, and that would be my advice. I'm going to steal that quote from you. I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Here's a very personal question. Though I'm curious yeah. to hear your answer. What's been your biggest struggle throughout the last two years doing this? Yeah, I mean, I people ask the question, what keeps you up at night? And I don't really worry that much about how we're going to hit, um, how we're going to hit, you know, quarterly goals or, Annual goals, definitely sometimes. Um, but what really keeps me up at night is how how do we really, really make a dent in this issue that we're solving? How do we really make a dent in uh, the issue of global homelessness? Um, and that's a big problem. And there's nowhere close to somewhat of an easy or clear answer. Um, so, you know, we have a couple hypotheses, hypotheses of how we can do that. Um, we do not believe that it needs to happen by a new story alone. We think it takes an ecosystem of partners. And um, because of that, it, or really a big North Star for us is we want to develop a model that can be essentially shared with other top performing organizations with similar uh, missions. Um, to where the kind of the net effect is a, a faster and a bigger impact. Um, so, you know, I struggle sometimes with, man, you know, we're doing good now and this is cool and this is great. 
but how do we 100x what we're doing? Um, and it's a little frustrating because it's, you know, get clear answers as to how to do that, right? Uh, I mean, like for you guys, like, hey, you have, I'm just totally making up numbers. You guys have um, 10,000 customers or users, right? Cool. How do you get to a million? You know, um, that those are things that keep me up and I think about. It's a great answer. It's um, and it, it's interesting for you to give this answer because, again, the similarities of you running this as a startup, as a company, as a CEO mindset. It's the same type of response you'll get from a lot of the entrepreneurs we have on the show, also running huge companies and scaling companies, are asking yeah. themselves the same mindset, which I think attributes a lot to why New Story has grown to this point because of the way you're looking at it from a whole new angle. Um, that to us, you know, we're passionate about that, 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 that. Approach. Yeah. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I'm not going to lie. The, that was actually, I, I was curious to see how you answered and the comparison of like, how do you get from a thousand customers to a million customers? I don't think you could have said that analogy any better. That's really well said. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's hard. Right. And, um, and those are things that, you know, they're, they're so complex. There's, there's not a lot of clarity around it. Um, but I think the entrepreneurs that do have that aspired vision, um, I just think it, it keeps them up at night. And then over time, they figure out how to do it. So two more questions for you. And we'll wrap this up. Yeah. Probably the biggest question I'm going to ask you on a personal level. But again, just interested to hear your, your response and see where it correlates to a previous guest and where it differentiates. Uh, okay. What would you say is your purpose? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I want to use, from my opinion, what I've basically the lottery that I've been given, um, which is where I've been born, my talent, my just God-given ability. Um, I want to use what I've been given and work at it at just if not more of the with an ambition that a for-profit um ceo would have um in order to make as much impact as possible um on people's lives and i think that it's from what i found it's it, I, I get so fired up because of the the actual tangible difference that you can make on other people's lives and, you know, when I look back and when I'm 90 years old, you know, I want to be able to look back and say, dude, it's not going to matter how much money I've made or how many trips I went on. Like, don't get me wrong. I enjoy fun and cool things. And, and, and I, you know, I, I partake in a lot of fun experiences like that. But when it really comes down at the end of the day, I want to look back and be like, just so damn proud of how I used what I had been given, because I felt very lucky what I had been given, how I use that to directly impact other people's lives around the world. And um, I just think it's a, it's a huge, it's a huge like mind shift from how I used to think, which was, you know, it was very, it's like a very selfish ambition and just how can I get more, more for me so that I could then feel X and then get to the next level and feel X and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, spoiler alert that that's never fulfilling. Right. And now it's what I call selfless ambition where you're still using 
all the talent you've been given, all the ambition, if not more ambition, to directly change people's lives. Um, and that's what I've been called to do, just really through through my faith and then through um, what I've been able to see and the feeling from that, um, especially compared to the lifestyle that I used to live. How can our listeners learn more about New Story, yourself, and perhaps most importantly, donate and contribute to what you guys are doing? Yeah, the first thing we do is we definitely go to our website, and you can click around on there. Uh, the URL is newstorycharity.org, uh, or if you just go to Google, just type in New Story, and uh, you'll pop will pop up. Um, the second thing is that I'm pretty active on Twitter, so my uh, handle is at Brett Hagler, uh, B-R-E-T-T-H-A-G-L-E-R. And then easy to get in touch with if you ever have any questions or ideas um, or you want to get your company involved to start a campaign, um, you can just reach out to us. Uh, We get back to folks uh, really quickly and happy to uh, take any suggestions or ideas. um, And then also, of course, provide ways if you want to get involved. Um, So, yeah, thank you guys all for uh, your time and for listening and uh, for, for hosting this podcast. Thank you, man. This was hands down one of the most motivational slash inspiring episodes to date. So we appreciate you making the time to join us and to share your story for our listeners. Hey, Podcast Nation, before you go, this is just a reminder that this episode was brought to you by your friends at ChopDog.com. Dog is spelled D-A-W-G. If your company needs an incredible team to help build your app, maintain your app, help take you to the next level, be your outsourced CTO, reach out to us. We provide free quotes, free proposals, and there's no obligation. Seriously, if you just want to pick our brain and see how we might be able to help you, reach on out. I will talk to you personally one-on-one. And I mean that. Just fill out hire.chopdog.com. Again, that's hire, H-I-R-E.chopdog.com. And we'll set up a time to chat one-on-one. We would love to hear more about your startup, more about your company, more about your enterprise, and see how we might be able to help you. Thank you again, Podcast Nation, for listening to this episode of the podcast. We'll be back to you again, hopefully next week, if not the following week, with another episode of the podcast. Thanks.